Let me just ask you, anybody make any New Year's resolutions this year? None of you? Wow, okay, we got two in the room. We got a few more. Okay, some of you are just a little shy. You're, you're thinking I'm going to call on you. I've been on both sides of the coin. The cynic, like, I don't make resolutions. I talked to a friend of mine this week, and he's like, my resolution? To make it through this year. I'm like, yep, I understand that feeling. But if you're a young person in the room, if you're maybe in, in high school or uh, in your you know teens or early 20s, I've got a good resolution for you. It would be to not let your friends talk you into doing dumb things you will later regret. That would be a good resolution for you. Um, when I was in youth group, I was a teenager. I remember this one time we went up to camp, and there's a, we, we specifically wait for the kids to go out before I tell some of these stories. Young people, don't do this. So anyway, we had kind of a prankster culture and you know, with our youth leaders and different things. And so we're up at this camp, and uh, they had this fun little activity game plan where we each got a box of stuff and then we had to put on a skit. And I'm with my two best buddies. We we're kind of like three amigos. And, uh, and we get a box and we open it and there's stuff for like a facial and a Halloween mask in there. And we're like, oh, this would be funny and fun. What can we do? We'll bring up a youth leader and do this, you know, do this facial on them. And then one of my friends is like, oh, you know what? I brought some super glue. Bad idea. Oh. So we're like, we're like, we could put one drop on the forehead and like one on each cheek, and it would be really funny. And so uh, we catch this this plan. My friend runs and gets it, and we bring him up, and I'm the spokesperson up front doing the talking. Go figure. And uh, I turn around, and you know, on super glue, there's two caps. If you remember that, there's a tiny little one, and then there's a big one. I see my friend unscrewing the big cap and squeezing. And he has super glue running all over his hands. He rubs it all over this mask real quick. I'm in shock. I see my other friend going, what do we do, right? And before you know it, he takes the mask, he sticks it on our youth leader's face. And thankfully, thankfully, see, because kids, this could have been really dangerous and really bad uh, for eyes and stuff. But thankfully, he smelled it right away and took it off. And uh, no harm was done other than the fact that I don't think he's grown a beard to this day. Um, but we got one of the worst talkings to we've ever had about the, the dangerous implications and how that could have ended up in the hospital with loss of vision, which we didn't obviously think through. Um, and just as bad, we lived in abject terror for the next couple of years waiting for payback because we knew payback Whatever it was, it was going to be bad. Um, so I remember setting up literally on my tent on a Lake Powell trip in alarm. I kid you not. Uh, that's how scared we were. So anyway, don't do that. Don't do dumb things that you'll later regret. And um, that's, that's a good resolution. Now, today, this is going to tie into my talk here in a minute. Because today, we're going to talk about something that I think we can all relate to heading into a new year. And that's this. That I think we've all found ourselves in a place where in spite of our best effort, in spite of our best planning, we come up short. We find ourselves in a bind. Sometimes and oftentimes it's because of a dumb situation, some poor planning, we ignore some wise advice, and we plow down a road and we find ourselves in a situation. Sometimes we planned hard and uh, we felt like we were doing the right thing and we just land in a situation where unless God comes through, it's not gonna go well. And then in that moment, something happens. And that was God. How many of you have had some kind of moment like that in your life? You know, I won't call on you, so don't worry. So, yeah, I, as we've done all these three services, um, tons of hands that we've had some kind of moment that you're like, man, I was in this situation, and then that came through, and man, I know that that was God. Now, for some of you, maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you were just checking out God, Church, and the Bible. That's you. We're so glad you're here. And maybe you would have had one of these moments. Maybe you described it at the time as serendipitous or even lucky, but some of you, you're like, I think there was probably something more to it than that. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you probably use a word like, man, it was a providential thing. It was a God thing. Now, here's the tricky part about those situations, no matter how you got out of them, how you got into them. Even though we love those stories in retrospect, like you think about it, and you're like, that was such a cool thing. You didn't love the situation that got you there, did you? In fact, you wouldn't want to go back and repeat being in the place where unless God came through, you're, you're like, what do we do? 
Because oftentimes, those are tough. Those make us nervous. In those situations, we begin to experience a lot of anxiety. And today, what we're going to do is, is we're going to talk about that space in the meantime, because perhaps some of you are in one of those seasons now. No doubt, at some point in your life, we're all going to be in one of those moments where it's like, oh, God, if you don't come through, this isn't going to go well. And so what we're going to talk about is doing the hard work of preparation in the midst of waiting for God to move. And I think it's a very good thing to talk about as we head into a new year. And to help us with that, we're going to look at kind of an obscure scripture. I love this passage. It's uh, in the book of 2 Kings. It's chapter 3. It was written about 850 years before Jesus, a long time ago. But it's so applicable to when we find ourselves in these kinds of situations. And I've studied this passage and talked about it uh, before. And this week, as I was looking at this passage, um, I, I happened to stumble upon a sermon by a guy named Charles Spurgeon, where he taught this passage. Uh, anybody heard of Charles Spurgeon? He was one of the greatest preachers of the 1800s. And actually, he, he studied this, and he wrote an incredible sermon that, is, that uh, is, they've collected all his sermons. You can go read them online. And uh, he wrote a sermon on this specific passage, and I stumbled upon it. And as I was reading it, I'm like, wow, that is so powerful. Spurgeon was an amazing guy. Um, he had so much influence, an incredible amount of influence. In fact, his sermons and the books and pamphlets that he wrote were so influential back in the 1800s that they estimated his net worth at $50 million, 1800s. And yet, by the end of his life, he only had a couple hundred thousand dollars left in his bank account because he put so many of his resources into seeing the kingdom of God move forward in advance. Just had a huge impact. And so let me just say, as I read through this, I was like, man, that is so powerful. So if I'm a little spicy today, you can blame Spurgeon, okay? And I'm going to read you a few of his quotes as we go along here today because I thought they were so good. And so I'm just going to dive into 2 Kings chapter 3. I'll give you a little bit more context as we go. And today I'm reading out of the New American Standard, which is a great translation of study Bible I grew up with. Don't get rid of your other Bibles because it's just today. But here we go in chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and his mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal, one of the idols, which his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. So you have this guy, Jeroboam, that you see this name and a lot of different names in there. And well over 100 years earlier, the kingdom of Israel split in half and 10 tribes followed this rebel, this guy named Jeroboam. And actually, in this situation, God had promised this because of the sin of Solomon and the idolatry of Solomon late in his life, that this would happen. And so God actually speaks to a prophet, to Jeroboam, and says, if you follow me with all your heart, things will go well for you, even though you're the rebel, um, you know, I'm using you to discipline the nation. Um, but he didn't. He abandons God. He led the northern kingdom into idolatry. He actually built two golden calves. Does anybody remember the Exodus? Not a good thing, right? Not, uh, God, God, this was something that actually brought great destruction on Israel. And so for about the last 100 plus years, as you read through the history in, in Kings and Chronicles, there's this whole string of kings. And most of the time, the Bible introduces them by saying, here's King so-and-so. And just like we did up here, he, was, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, we got Jehoram. He's the king now. And he's the son of Ahab, and anybody remember what his mom's name was? Jezebel. We got some Bible nerds out here. Jezebel. Now, let me just take a quick survey, because I'm guessing anybody named your daughter Jezebel? I, I didn't think so. Now, you probably named your cat Jezebel for good purpose. <laughs> I had to slip that one in here, because apparently I made a comment in, uh, in the Christmas message and I told you not to tell my wife, but somebody ratted me out or she watched it online. So she's like, you confessed your love for the cat in front of a thousand people. And I'm like, no, I think I said I kind of like the cat. So 
I got to throw a little cat jab uh, just, to, just to even up the score in there. But Ahab and Jezebel, very wicked. They raised up all these prophets um, of Baal, the false idol gods, all sorts of idolatry they led the people into. Very wicked. So they're saying he was still wicked, not as bad as his parents, but he's still evil. Now, verse 4, here's what happens. Now, Misha, the king of Moab, a neighboring country, was a sheep breeder and used to pay the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. So they were taxing, they paid him tribute. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Daddy's gone, young kid's in, I'm out. I'm not paying taxes anymore. Verse six, and here's how the king of Israel responds. And King Joram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? So he, he, he goes, he gets his cousin down in the, the two tribes to the south, the, the kingdom of Judah. And here's the response of Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat is a, uh, is a righteous person. He follows God. He follows the one true God. But here's what he said. There's no indication that he prayed about it. He sought God. He sought wise counsel. Here's what he says. I will go up. I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses is your horses. In other words, got your back, bro. I got your back. I'm in. Let's go do this. We're going to, you know, we're going to go dominate and we'll take names later. Let me just say, quick note of caution in here. Be very careful about the people closest to you that you choose to ally your life with. Because over and over again, um, now, we all need friends that don't know Jesus, that we can influence and encourage to follow Jesus and begin to, to move towards him. But the closest people in your life should be people that are drawing you to follow Jesus at a deeper level. And especially young people, listen up, like the friends you choose in your teens and early 20s will have more impact than you can imagine on the quality and the direction of your life. And so make it a point to choose friends who move you, who pull you to follow Jesus on a deeper level. Because what invariably happens is if you don't do that, the influence you think you will have actually works in the opposite direction and you'll find yourself in some situations that you wish you weren't in. Find friends and make alliances that encourage you, have community around you that encourages you to follow Jesus with all your heart. So he, he makes this alliance, which was a really bad move, it's going to backfire. And here's what he says. Which way shall we go up? King of Israel answered, the way of the wilderness of Edom. So they strike up a plan. See, Moab rebels. No doubt they have their fortified city. I got a map here. Quick map for you. Um, Moab over here on the side of Israel. No doubt they have on, above their capital city there. They're fortifying, preparing for an attack from the north. Instead, they're like, we got a good idea. We're going to sneak up around the south side. We'll pick up troops in Jerusalem. Then we'll go down. We'll pick up troops in, in the kingdom of Edom down to the south. We'll have this alliance. The three of us will gang up. We'll sneak up on them. It'll be easy. No problem. They, they, they hatch this scheme. It will be easy. And let me just say, <laughs> again, no indication. They sought the Lord. They had wise counsel planning. They come up with what they thought would be a shortcut to success. Be very careful about things in your life that promise to be shortcuts to success. Some of you have suffered. I've, I've, I've had some stock decisions um, that look like a good shortcut to great returns that backfired big time. Anybody else? You had a few ouches in your life? <laughs> be very careful about some of the choices you make that seem like a good idea at the time, seem like the easy route. I charged a, a lot of money on credit cards trying to finance a music career early on. Let me just tell you, that didn't take, go well. It took years and years to dig out of that dumb move, right? But it looked like a good shortcut. It'll work out well now. It'll be easier now. Be careful of things that look easier now. Be willing to put in the work now, even when it's more difficult. And so here we go. Verse 9, here's what happens. Here's how it backfires. It says, so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Eden, and they made a circuit of seven days journey, and there was no water for the army or for the cattle that followed them. Uh-oh. 
Um, I don't know exactly how the scene went, but what I picture in my head is like the sergeants are getting together and, and like the one army from Israel's like to, to, to Judah, you guys pack the canteens, right? No, you were supposed to pack the canteens. What? We don't have all the water? No, I thought Edom was packed. What? And they didn't, they didn't plan strategically. And however this happens, they get out there seven days into a journey. Have you ever been really, really dehydrated? when you're hiking in the desert or maybe you've worked hard for a day and then you get to that point where you're like, this is dangerous. I remember, actually it was weird because I was up hunting and it was October, but it was one of those freakishly warm days. And I thought, ah, hunting is, I remember going out with my dad when I was young and it was freezing cold. You'd just be there shivering, right? Well, it was so hot and we hiked and hiked and then we got elk and we had to pack them out. It was like late at night by the time we finally got out. I was incredibly dehydrated. Thankfully, there was a corner station open in Quebec, and I got like a big old thing of Gatorade and just slammed it and rehydrated, right? They didn't have a uh, convenience store on the corner out in the desert of Moab. And so they're in a real bad situation. They find themselves in a pickle. This should have been a really easy deal. You got this like oversized team, these three kings. They got the power. They've, they've planned a sneak attack, but now they haven't planned well. They haven't sought God, and they're in a real bind. It is a desperate situation where it's not going to go well. And then the king of Israel said, alas for the Lord, for Yahweh has called three, these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. See, he'd served and worshiped all these false gods, and now when, when things go tough, he has poor planning, and he blames it on the one true God. It's God's fault. And don't we have the tendency to do that in life? Isaac Spurgeon said this, and I thought it was so good. He said, providence is a most convenient horse to bear the saddles of our folly. Isn't that true? That when things go well, we have no problem taking the credit for ourselves. We kind of get prideful and go, look at what I did. Even though, if we're honest, there were a lot of things out of our control that fell into place for many of us that were like, man, that was totally God, if you're honest. But it's so easy to take responsibility when it goes well and go, it, didn't I do a good job? And then when it goes lousy and we fail to plan well and fail to seek God, oftentimes we turn around and blame it. Oh, God, how could you allow this in my life? That's exactly what the king of Israel does in this situation. But I love it because here, here in the midst of like the self-pity and all this, Jehoshaphat has a moment like he's the righteous king. He serves the one true God. And he remembers this. And it, here's what he says. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet of the Lord of Yahweh, the one true God here, that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Ding, ding, ding. Like light bulb goes off. Hey, genius boy. You should have thought of that ahead of time back in Jerusalem before this whole like cockamamie scheme got planned. But in the midst of that, he has a recognition of this is a desperate situation, man. We better seek God in it. And you know, sometimes we do. We get ourselves into these kinds of situations by poor planning or poor choices. We jump in a business partnership and we hadn't thought it through and the character of those that we're, we're going in or, or we have too much confidence in a situation. Maybe we continue in a dating relationship against the wise advice of, of trusted people in our lives who love God or have been around and have more experience. We decide to charge a bunch of stuff because it's shiny and it looks nice or we're in a little bit of a bind and before you know it, we're in a mountain of consumer debt. Sometimes we get into ourselves, ourselves into those situations because of that. Other times we tried really hard to plan and make wise decisions. We even prayed about it. But we still find ourselves in a situation that without God's intervention, it isn't going to end well. Let me ask you, I think Jehoshaphat in this moment, he has a recognition and a realization of his dependence on God. Who who? Who can make it rain? Can a king make it rain? Can three kings make it rain? Can a prophet make it rain? Only God can make it rain. Only God can make it rain. And in the moment, he has this recognition of, hey, we, are, we need God to come through. We need the one true God, the only one who can to move in this situation. So he says, let's seek 
the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. Now, I think we find ourselves often in these kinds of situations, and we're very wise if we do the same thing that Jehoshaphat did. Don't think we can solve it on our own. Don't think we can come up with the ultimate solution, but actually take the time to pause and go, what does God say? What does Scripture say? Holy Spirit, what are you teaching me? What are you speaking to me? See, sometimes there's actually times in our lives where God allows us to get into a situation where nothing but his intervention will solve it. And sometimes he does that because he wants to come through in a way that when he moves, we know that we know that we know that that was God. We have no doubt in our mind. I've had some of these situations, very difficult times, that I can point back at and go, that was God. I got no question in my mind. Some of you, many of you, you've had one of those as you raised your hand. Yeah, I've been in that situation. I have no doubt that that was God. I know that wasn't me, that that wasn't my own strength. I remember um, in, in the first year, first years of this church as we were launching to start this church, and I've told this before, so I'll make it quick for those that are new, but, but this year, January, February, uh, 10 years since we decided to launch full-time, launch a Sunday morning service and go for this. Now, we'd been planning the year before it, working really hard, um, and in this moment, we decided we got to go for it. We got to go full-time. And so we launched a Sunday morning, or we were preparing to launch a Sunday morning. In the meantime, um, as we were preparing to launch, I mean, we'd printed signs and like the whole nine yards gotten ready. We're in this little event center next door and uh, it's not there anymore. But as we were, as we were there, um, I remember we had a launch date and the church sending us out was going to like high five us and bless us and everybody's cheering. And meanwhile, I had gotten a call that week, you know, might not have a place to meet anymore. And I'm preaching on faith and stepping out and Joshua and all this crazy stuff. And I'm like terrified on the sidelines. <laughs> I'm meeting with one of my friends over here going, everybody just like clapped and cheered, but we might like this whole thing might fall apart here real quick. And I remember somebody saying, have you ever thought about that big giant building sitting over here, this building we're in? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've thought about it, but come on, we're like 35 people, 50 on a really good night but let's take it to our small group. Let's pray about this. You never know. We'll see what God does. How many of you remember the Ace Hardware white tiles? Anybody in the room? We got a handful of you that remember those days. Like some temporary little partition. We used Ace shelving for some of our walls. We were scrappy back then, you know? <laughs> and God made the way. We moved in here four months later, and it was, you know, and I've seen those moments over and over. Sometimes God allows you to get in those moments where, where only him coming through is going to get you to where he's leading you. In fact, Spurgeon says this, when tribulation drives us to the Lord, it is an unspeakable blessing and makes affliction prove to us one of our greatest mercies. Some of you have experienced that, that even in the midst of a very hard situation, you can look back and you can see the hand of God and what God brought you to and what God did in your heart and in your life through that situation. Some of you, you don't see that yet. You're walking through one of those and you got to hang on and you got to trust. Sometimes we don't get the, the aha moment on this side, but oftentimes it's five or 10 years down the road as you're looking back and going, oh, that's what God was doing in the midst of this. But in this, Jehoshaphat has the right response. He says, we got to seek God. Is there a prophet anywhere around of the true God? And the second part of this verse says this, when one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here, who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Now, anybody heard of the name Elisha before? I'm sure most of you before you walk through the doors had. And here's why. He is one of the super prophets in the Old Testament. This guy is legendary. Uh, God uses him in incredibly powerful ways. But it wasn't always that way. How did he start out? Pouring water on the hands of Elijah. What does that mean? It means he was an understudy, a servant of the prophet Elijah. He was the guy that came alongside. He was the intern. He served and let me just say this, especially young people, don't ever be afraid to serve faithfully in a position that isn't the ultimate thing you dreamed of as you were going through school or the ultimate thing that you dreamed of when you got your degree. 
Sometimes God allows you to serve in a position that feels beneath you. Don't sit in the basement playing video games, waiting for the ultimate position. Take the thing God's offering you with, be faithful with it, and see what he does. Great spiritual principle. Often it's the small beginnings that lead you to great things later on in life. Don't ever be afraid of serving. Don't ever be afraid of being faithful because God has a way of getting you to the right place when you're ready for it. And so we see Elisha, now the chapter right before this, actually is when he takes on the mantle. It's a really cool story. So this is brand new in his ministry, like being the the dude on the street, the the prophet. Right before this, um, Elijah is getting ready. He knows God's about ready to take him to heaven. And so he tells Elisha two times across the door, and he's like, hey, you, you stay over here. And Elisha's like, nope, I'm not leaving your side. I'm with you to the very end. Again, hey, you stay here. Nope, I'm sticking with you. He asks Elijah for a double portion. And, and really cool story. Go back to the chapter four and read it. But basically, long story short, after God takes Elijah to heaven, um, Elisha knows that God's passed the mantle on to him. And literally, Elisha's cloak is left there. And he picks up the prophet's cloak And like the company of prophets is across the river watching this. And he picks it up and he goes, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And he strikes the river and it parts. And the prophets over there are like, the boy's got it. He's got the mantle. He served and now God's given him the mantle. So verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. Oh, I've heard of this guy. I've heard of this kid. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Eden Edom went down to him. They go down, they come out, their tails tucked between their legs to come seek the word of God with the prophet. And I love this. Now, Elisha, he sees him coming and he's, got, he's getting ticked off. He says to the king of the Israel, what do I have to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Remember Jezebel and Ahab, mom and dad, they tried to kill off all the prophets of Yahweh, the one true God. They hunted him down. And all of a sudden, he's coming because he needs a favor, right? He's like, what do I have to do with you? Go ask your own false god prophet. See if they can do anything for you. He's got an attitude. I like him. (laughs) And the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to give them into the hand of Moab. He's like, no, it's your God that called it. It's your God that's trying to take us out. So I need something from you. (laughs) And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Elisha is ticked off. And he has good reason to be. Because the kings of God's people, the northern, even the northern kingdom that split off, they haven't sought God in a long time. It's been a long time since they sought the the true God. And Elisha responds, now now you seek the Lord. Now that you're in a jam, now you pray. Now you seek God. If it wasn't for this guy over here who actually serves the one true God, I wouldn't give you the time of day. And here's a great spiritual principle. To really experience what God wants you to experience in life, to experience the blessing of God in life, to experience what it means to actually be a disciple, you have to Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, God will sometimes still come through for you, oftentimes, in an effort to win your heart back when you've completely ignored him and you get in a jam. We're going to see that in a minute. But the principle Jesus teaches is seek first the kingdom of God and all the other stuff you get so spun out about in your life. Guess what? God knows about that stuff. He cares He knows you got to pay the bills. He knows you want your kids to have good opportunities in life. He knows you're lonely. And you you want somebody in your... He knows those things. Are you seeking him first? Whose kingdom primarily are you building in your life? What has the most... What has the primary place of your allegiance and your attention? Is it your little kingdom or is it him? Is it his kingdom? Are you seeking him first? And let me just encourage you, as you head into the new year, and some of you, you're like, I don't do resolutions. I'm just going to make it. Okay, okay I've been there. Um, but if you're a person, whether, wherever you're at, whether you set tons of goals or whether you don't, let me encourage you to set this goal. 
that in your plans, it, that you would orient your life in such a way that you seek first the kingdom of God, that you would pray prayers for your life, that if God answered them, it would make a big difference in some people's lives for his kingdom other than just you and your immediate family and your success and your comfort that it would actually change the life of some people in your circle, on your sports team, down the hall at work. Begin praying prayers that are bigger than yourself, that are about God. Begin seeking him and saying, God, what, what about your kingdom? What do you want to do through my life this year? You know, this last fall, we did a series called Everyday Disciple, where we're talking about four characteristics or traits of a disciple that we're going to be talking about a lot more as our church goes forward. And I want to remind you of those because we believe that being a disciple of Jesus means you are a responsive follower. That means someone who seeks God in his word, in scripture. God, what are you saying to me through your, through your word? That's why we put such a high priority on scripture. I hope a lot of you will choose to, to make that a regular part of your life this, this year and seek him, but also responsive to the Holy Spirit, biblically serious, responsive to the Holy Spirit, that you be that you are daily seeking his will and listening to the still small voice of God as he gives you opportunity to interact with other people and influence them towards Jesus. Pray for them. Be involved in their lives. Share your life with them. You'd be a responsive follower, an available friend, someone whose life is available that you would be intentional about getting in community and having relationships in your life that encourage you toward Jesus, but also you'd be looking for those around you that are maybe hurting right now, that you would make time for someone this week on purpose, not just by accident, that you would be a ready guide. See, a disciple of Jesus makes other disciples. That's part of the definition. A disciple of God replicates. They make other. That's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. It's something we're all called to that you would be influencing others toward Jesus. And as you're a, a ready guide, what it means is, man, you got to be seeking him for yourself, growing as a disciple yourself in order to begin to help others grow towards Jesus. And you don't have to have it all figured out. If you've read one more book of the Bible, you've read one more book, you're a lot much more equipped than the next person to help lead them toward Jesus. That's one of the reasons why we want to encourage some of you to get in replicate groups where you're actually getting serious about being discipled or discipling other people. And, and ultimately, what we want you to do is see your life as a life on mission. A disciple sees their life as a life on mission for the kingdom of God. A life on mission is, is someone that gets up and says, okay, God, my life is yours. It's, it's about your kingdom. What do you want me to do? I, I got to go to work, got to pay the bills. But in the midst of all that, Ultimately, the deeper purpose is you and your kingdom. So how do you want this day to be used to advance that? Lord, you've given me a certain number of things and a certain number of resources and finances and like gifts and abilities in life. How do you want me to leverage those things for your kingdom? How can they, how can they be released and set into motion so that your kingdom grows? Because it's about you. It's about you first. A life on mission. Someone who seeks God. So, Elisha next in this story says something that's kind of weird. So they're seeking the king. The king's come down. They're going to seek the word of the Lord. So he has this little like heated moment, you know, with the king of Israel, kind of back and forth, fist fight with no fist flying, you know, word verbal fist fight. And, he, and then the prophet says this as he prepares to seek God on the behalf of, of the kings. But now, Bring me a minstrel. What? If you're reading the NIV, it says, bring me a harpist. A harpist? What? Bring me a minstrel. What is he saying? Bring me a worship leader. Bring me a Winston. Where's Winston? Get Winston up here. Not really. You don't have to come up yet, Winston. Why does he do that? Here's why he does that. It says this in the second half. It says, and it came about when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And no doubt he's looking for someone to come up and sing the Psalms of David of praise and of worship. And you know, there is something powerful that changes in the spiritual atmosphere when our hearts through music engage the Lord in praise and worship, lifting up his name glorifying him. 
You know, we don't just, uh, we don't just do worship at the start of church as like a warm-up for the message. And if you have that kind of thought around it, I encourage you to begin to allow God and the Holy Spirit to engage with your heart, that you would begin to lift up songs of praise and worship to him from, from your heart because something powerful happens in the spiritual realm and in our hearts and in our connectedness with God when we do that, when we lift our hearts up and our voices in worship and in praise. And God uses music in a powerful way to do that. In fact, in ancient Israel, they would send out the worshipers the musicians in front of the army. Like they were the lead in ancient Israel. I remember one time, um, I remember this one time. Now, if you think like ah, music, it's just like karaoke, Christian karaoke. We get together, we sing songs together. Some people have that viewpoint. Well, there's a lot better karaoke songs we could sing that are more fun, right? YMCA, get you guys going with some... Now, you, you guys probably wouldn't do that. But. but I remember this one gal coming to church. I was leading worship. We, we had a young adult service years ago. And she had this uh, football player that she was interested in. And so she had kind of been getting to be friends with him. And, and, uh, and he was a strong believer. And she, she was just friends. And uh, she said, hey, you want to go to a movie with me? And he said, yeah, I guess I can go to a movie. Why don't you come to church with me first on a Wednesday night? And she's, first she's like, no, I'm not going to church. I'm an atheist. But then she starts thinking about it. She's like, well, I'm an atheist, so I don't really believe there's anything to all this anyway, so what could it hurt? And go sit there for an hour, go to the movie with this football player. And so she does. Uh, she comes to church. She sits right, like, on this side, on the third row. And as soon as the, as the worship began, um, she starts weeping uncontrollably. She's like, what's happening to me? And what was happening to her is the Holy Spirit in that moment was moving on her heart in a powerful way. She ended up giving her life to Jesus and following Jesus. And that was kind of the spark that started it. And I love this because in this moment, and I hadn't seen this before in this story, but in this moment, Elisha, Spurgeon says, actually the prophet's calming his soul. He's got this kind of heated exchange with the king of Israel, and he wants to make sure that he takes a moment, that he tunes his heart into the Holy Spirit, that he focuses on God, and that the words that come out of his mouth next are actually the advice of God and not just some ideas because he's all heated in the moment, right? And Spurgeon says, hey, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we as believers are dependent on the Holy Spirit. We're biblically serious, but we're also dependent on the Holy Spirit, both to enlighten the scriptures to us and to give us the power to live a life for him and reach others for him. Spurgeon says, hey, there's some churches with good theology who nevertheless act as if they could do well without the Holy Spirit. He says, we must have the Holy Spirit power, Holy Spirit's power and presence, the assistance of the Most High. Otherwise, our religion will become, will become a mockery before God and a misery to ourselves, just going through the motions. We're a people of the Word. We're a people of the Spirit. And the prophet seeks God's voice. And then, then he speaks out the Word of the Lord. And what he says next shocks everyone. Here's what he says. Thus says the Lord. Make this valley full of trenches. Um, time out, prophet. Uh, maybe you misunderstood. Uh, we came, the three of us kings, we came. We have this giant army, all these cattle that follow behind. Um, we've just wandered seven days. We have no water. We're dying of thirst. We told the guys, lay low, find some shade, try not to exert yourselves. And you're telling us to go dig ditches. Yeah, yeah, not just a few either. Make it full of trenches. I want you to go out and make this valley full of trenches. Uh, okay. Are you sure? And prophet goes on. Here's what's going to happen. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. There's going to be no indication to you that this is going to happen, but you have to trust God. Check this out. Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you shall drink, both you, your cattle, and your beasts. This is but a slight thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand. You're in a desperate situation, and the thing you're going to have to do is take action to prepare for the thing that God's about ready to do. You're not going to see it yet, 
But you're going to have to follow the word of the Lord, the thing that God's leading you to do, the thing that God has already told you to do, the standing orders of God that he's given you, and prepare yourself for the thing that he has promised to do. Let me just say, it is hard to dig ditches before you see any evidence of the rain. Anybody ever dug some ditches? I dug some ditches in my life. My folks used to ship me off to a a ranch up in Parachute because I thought I wanted to be a cowboy. And I found out it was about more than roping and riding. It's hard manual labor, right? And, And in the midst of this situation where they're about to literally die of thirst, the word of God to them is go out and prepare. Work hard. Do the thing that you can do to prepare for the thing that only God can do. It's a huge biblical principle. If you want to see the word, if you want to see God move in and through your life, get out a shovel. Start doing the simple things, the faithful things, the preparatory things that God is calling you to do in order to get to the place where he's calling you to be. You see this principle over and over and over again in Scripture. Do you want to have a thriving business, ministry, family life, financial life? you got to do some hard things ahead of time to prepare for the big things that only he can do down the road. you got to start. This, what, what does this look like? This looks like uh, doing the hard work of getting out of debt, right? Doing some Dave Ramsey, tightening the belt, paying off debt, getting an emergency fund, getting rid of some credit card debt. It's hard. It's not fun. You don't see prosperity. It's a ways down the road, but it's what you got to start doing now to get there. In a relationship, maybe you need to start getting some counseling because you've just been ignoring some problems and you need to start getting some counseling. You need to start having some real conversations instead of just ignoring it. It means beginning to take the wise advice and doing the hard thing in in a relationship that you're in that you know isn't honoring God, a dating relationship, not a marriage relationship I'm talking about here, dating relationship where you know it's not honoring God and you need to make some hard calls and some hard decisions and start honoring God with your body and with yourself in that situation. Saying, I'm going to follow God. It's hard. I don't see the fruit of it right now, but I'm going to trust that he's going to come through in the end. These things aren't often flashy. It means beginning to do the things now, getting in the word of God, spending time in prayer. You're asking him, oh, God, I want more of you. Well, are you, are you preparing? Are you creating the moments of quietness for him to speak to your heart? Are you doing the discipline now? Are you doing the hard things now? Get in a replicate group. Get serious about having some community around you or, or a life group that, that uh, is a little different environment where you got some community around you that's actually encouraging you to follow Jesus. Because you know what? We're not meant to do it alone. It's, it's the simple things that aren't always flashy. I remember when we were preparing to launch this church before we ever did, um, this friend of mine that was uh, Galen Horn, she was the, one of the directors of YWAM Cimarron at the time. And uh, as we were sharing sort of the, the vision and the dream that God had given us, she says, I think this scripture in the very next chapter of Kings, where Elisha tells this widow go out and collect, you're out of oil, go out, go out and collect jars, but don't just collect a few. In other words, how big's your faith ahead of time? She said, I think that's for you. I don't know. And we're like, okay, I'm not sure what this means. But along the way, as we began to prepare, we always thought about this. And, and as we um, prepared to launch Sundays, one of the weird things is we, we had, like, like I said, just a real small group on Saturday night. We didn't really know. We knew of one family that was going to go to Sunday. All the manuals and stuff would have said, Put all your eggs in one basket. Focus on Sundays. Make that work well. We felt like God was calling us to keep going with Saturdays. And looking back, that's been one of the best decisions we've made, even though it didn't make sense at the time. But we knew it was the hard thing that God was calling us to do. If you come on a Saturday night, this place is packed. We're encouraging some of them. We're like, hey, there's like 100 extra seats at 11. We need some of you. Some of you are like, no, we like our elbow room. <laughs> the point is you got to do the hard work oftentimes ahead of time. This is a biblical principle. You do the step that God's telling you to take, and then you trust that he's going to do what only he can do. I want to invite Winston up. We're going to close here in just a moment. 
But as, as we get there, I want to I share this. Part of stepping out is that you can trust the word of God, that he says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. One of the greatest missionaries in the last couple hundred years was a guy named Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary to China, brought the gospel to China. And he said this thing, and it stuck with me. He said, in every great work of God, and I would go on to say, even in those things that sometimes, you know, whether it's a business thing or a thing God's calling your family towards, but in every great work of God, first it's impossible, then it's difficult, and then it's done. That when he's calling you to something, oftentimes it feels impossible, but you begin to take the steps, and before you know it, you're like, wow, okay, I'm on the road, but this is really hard. And then before you know it, you look back and go, wow, look what God did. There's a step of faithfulness that he calls you to, to get to that place. You got to trust it. Spurgeon, he says, oh, that we would be people that would dig ditches and trust that God would fill them. I want to read you a quote from Spurgeon here as we close. It says this, the way of faith and the road to blessing is this. God has promised it. We will get ready for it. God is engaged to bless. Now let us be prepared to receive the boon. Act not on the mere strength of what you have, but in the expectation of that for which you have asked. When your heart is set on the kingdom of God, ask God for big things and then take steps that you actually expect him to move. And here's the thing. We, we're, we're really dialed in and cautious here about not being manipulative when it comes to like faith, right? That you can somehow build up enough faith and manipulate God to do something on your behalf. We're very biblically serious. But I think sometimes in an effort not to abuse it on the other side, Perhaps accidentally, we just diminish the fact that God, our faith is something that God calls us to step out and trust him in big things. That our lives would be used in powerful ways. That we would take risks, not, not wild risks, but God-led risks for him. He goes on, he says, expect great things from a great God. Make this valley full of ditches. Have a holy covetousness of the divine blessing. Never be satisfied with what God is doing in the conversion of souls. Be grateful, but hunger after more. If he gives 10 souls, ask for 100. If he give 100, ask for 1,000. If 1,000, ask for 10,000. Insatiable as the grave ought the Christian's heart to be with regard to the glory of God. How powerful. Here's my hope for you. As you enter the new year, your heart would be insatiable for the glory of God. That something would shift and alter in your life that it would be about his kingdom first. Maybe this will be the first year that this shift has taken place in your heart. That the other things that seem so important, although you're still, you're paying the bills, you're going to school, you're getting the stuff done, underlying it, the motivation behind it all would be, God, for your glory, for your kingdom, for your purposes, and for the lives of those who don't know you yet. That's what this is all about. That's the Christian life. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And for some of you, that means getting off the sidelines this year and getting engaged in whatever he's calling you to do in the circle that he's placed around you. Whatever that looks like. You know, the section wraps up this way. It happened in the morning about the time of the offering, the sacrifice, that behold, water came by the way of Edom, the country, and the country was filled with water. And because they hadn't prepared, instead of the water just washing off and doing nobody any good, it collected in the places and it was able to sustain their army just as God had promised. Would you stand? Here's what I'd like you to take home this week as we launch into this year is this. What are you asking God for? What are you asking God for? For some of you, can I just encourage you to begin praying for a vision that's bigger than yourself, for a vision for those around you? If you begin regularly praying for it and then taking the faithful steps God shows you, I believe he's going to work powerfully. You know, as a church, we are committed 
to continue to look for, for new ways to do the hard work of preparation and see God reach many hearts in our community. Our, our, our board's talking like, hey, what are we going to do? If God blows out these walls, what are, how are we going to do that? Lord, how can we prepare that if you bring us a thousand more people, meet you, Jesus? How do, what does that look like? We want to be ready. We want to be tuned into what he's doing. We want to continue to make the most of our space. We want to continue to be a church where we're welcoming. In fact, if you've been here more than a few weeks, you're a greeter. Look for people who look new or, or lost and make them feel welcome. That's everybody's job, okay? All of our job. You got about three weeks to jump on board or, or not, okay? <laughs> we want everybody in the game making people feel welcome. You know, we know we can't change people's hearts, but God can But what we can do is be faithful in the things he's calling us to do to prepare for when God makes it rain. What's he calling you to do in your life, in your business, in your relationships, in in your community, in your circle, and those around you? Are you willing to do the hard work of preparation? Is there a hard thing that doesn't seem like it's going to be fun, but you know, okay, we need to do that this year because it's what God's calling us to do if we're going to be ready when he brings us this next thing. I encourage you to commit to do it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Some of you, you may be in a situation right now that you feel like, I think I've done all that I can do. My encouragement to you is be faithful in prayer to ask God to do what only he can do. Trust it to him. And as we close, maybe someone in the room, you're like, wow, this is, this is new, but I feel God inviting me into something. And, and for you, you haven't first expressed your trust in Jesus and embraced the good news of the gospel that he gave his life for you. He died and rose again. And by trusting in that, that you can have true life, eternal life, forgiveness. And if that's you, as we close in prayer, why don't you pray a prayer like this right after me? Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the son of God that you died and rose again. I'm asking for your forgiveness, for eternal life. Help me live my life for you every day by the power of your Holy Spirit in me. And Lord, for the rest of my friends here, I just ask that as we enter this year, you would give them such a a clear prompting of what the next step they need to take is a a faithful step and give them the strength by your Holy Spirit to do that. And would you this year through our church and through our lives bring many to you as we seek your kingdom first and live our lives on mission for you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.